All right, so we're going to start this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're beginning. Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. And we're looking at verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Now, this isn't really something that we're you know, that unfamiliar with, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you read the Gospel accounts, they love to challenge Jesus. They love to try to come up with very difficult theological questions to try to pin Jesus down, sort of you know, metaphorically, right? To, to put him in a theological corner. And that's what they're doing right now. And of all people, one of these Pharisees is a lawyer. And I know we all love lawyers very much, right? Now, lawyers are weaselly sort of people, right? They like to read between the lines and try to, try to use loopholes and things. So Jesus is now being asked a very difficult theological question by a lawyer. And here's the question in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? Now, we might read that question and think something like, uh, Jesus, what is your favorite commandment? Or Jesus, which commandment do you think is the most important? And he, he might be asking those things, but he might also, this lawyer might also be asking Jesus, Jesus, which commandment is greater than the other ones? That is, which commandment has a higher status than the other commandments of God. And that might be a question we might be quickly, we might answer quickly and say, oh, well, that's easy, this, this commandment or that commandment. But the problem is that if Jesus answers this question and says, this, is, this commandment over here that God gave is a greater commandment than this commandment over here that God gave, now Jesus has a theological problem because If Jesus answers that way, then he's saying that one commandment that God gave is more important than another commandment that God gave. And there's a problem for justice at that point, because every commandment that God gives is equally important and equally binding on us. And so that's what the lawyer's doing here. He's trying to trick Jesus, because he's a lawyer. He knows law. He knows every law is equally important and equally binding. Otherwise, there wouldn't be justice. And so here's Jesus' answer, and it's a brilliant answer. Verse 37, and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You can see the lawyer just kind of like, Aha, I got you. There's your great commandment. You just said this one's better than all the other ones. But then Jesus says, Oh, by the way, a second is like it. This is verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Now what Jesus has done here is he has said, you asked for a commandment that's better than all the other ones, that's greater, let me give you two. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. And when I say that these are the two greatest commandments, I'm saying they're the two greatest not because they're better than the other ones, but because they are an accurate, full, and complete summary 
of all of the other commandments, all the law and the prophets. They are a summary. Because every other commandment in the whole Bible falls under these two categories. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. That is, every law tells us how we worship, serve, and love God or how we worship, serve, and love God through loving other people or how we treat other people. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so when we look then at something like the Ten Commandments, which is the series that we're in right now, historic Judaism and Christianity has seen the Ten Commandments itself as a kind of summary of all of God's moral law. That is all of God's law that applies to all of his people for all time. And if you look at the structure of the Ten Commandments, you look at the order that they are given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, what you'll find is that the Ten Commandments actually break down into two sections. These two sections that Jesus gives us here. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Because the first four commandments, which you guys have all looked at with Grant over the last number of weeks and uh, with Robert too, all those commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, do not make a graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All of those commandments fall under the category of loving the Lord your God because they specifically deal with how we worship and praise God and how we treat him and how we love him. And now, this morning, we're making a transition because those four commandments have been covered. Now we're beginning with the fifth commandment, which is the beginning of the, the second section, the last six commandments. And these last six commandments deal with Jesus' second greatest commandment here, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because these last six commandments deal specifically with how we love God through how we love each other, that is, other human beings, how we treat other people, or how we don't treat other people. You see how the commandments there are kind of broken into those two categories? And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. And so this morning, we're making that transition. We are covering now the second portion of the Ten Commandments. And we start this morning with the fifth commandment. And uh, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20, because that's where the fifth commandment is found. Uh, it's verse 12 of Exodus 20. Would someone like to read that commandment for us? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, and all your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Yeah. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Yeah. So what we want to do in this week and next week right, is we're going to spend this morning looking at the positive command of the fifth commandment. That is, what is the fifth commandment commanding us to do? Which is really nice because it is a positive command. It's telling us to do something. It's not forbidding us from something explicitly. But then next week, we'll look at what it is forbidding us from, the sort of the negative side of the commandment. Not negative as in bad, but negative as in what is it telling us not to do. So let's just break down this verse for a second, particularly the first part is what I want to focus on. Honor your father and mother. The word honor there that you see the first word in the verse, uh, in the Hebrew, the word literally means to make heavy. So in Hebrew, if you're reading this, it would say, make heavy your father and mother. 
Now, that doesn't mean, you know, give your mother and father rich food so that they get fat or so that you make them big and heavy. What it's saying in the, for the ancient Hebrews is it's saying make them heavy by adorning them with heavy things. That's where the expression came from, to make heavy. Because when you honored somebody in the ancient world, what you do is you would come before them. This is like, say, a king or someone who is in authority over you or somebody worthy of honor. You would come to them and you would adorn them, adorn their person with gold and silver and jewels as a symbol of your submission to them, your obedience, your allegiance, your respect, and your praise. That's what you do, right? And so that's where that expression began to be used among the Hebrews. To make someone heavy is you're adorning them with all this gold so that you are showing that you're going to be honoring them. Now, when the commandment says, honor your father and mother, it doesn't say, you know, put gold necklaces on your father and mother. That's not the point. It's the expression. It's the spiritual truth behind that. We make heavy our father and mother with our praise and our obedience and our submission and our respect and our praise. And so that's what's behind the word honor. I just kind of want us to kind of get that background information behind that word because it's a very rich word and, and it, there's so much stuff behind it. So that's in its in the nutshell what it means to honor. And we'll look at that more later this morning. But then we look at the next part which says honor your father and mother. When uh, you were young, I'm sure it was the same as when I was young. Actually, I still am kind of young. But when I'm saying young, I mean like little, little young. Um, I'm sure that both my parents and your parents love this commandment, right? Or maybe you as a parent now really like this commandment. If your kids are being naughty and you say, hey, what does the fifth commandment say? Honor your father and mother. And you use that as sort of a way to get the kids to do what you want them to do, which is right, right? Because that's what it says. Uh, that's not illegitimate. But there's an important question behind this commandment that I think we need to address, and that is, does this commandment only apply to children? In other words, do we as adults who have left our father and mother and have cleaved to our spouse and have become one flesh and are no longer need to submit in obedience to our parents, um, are we not to follow this commandment? Does it not apply to us anymore? Is it only for children who are under the obedience of the parents? And I think that uh, I was really pleasantly surprised to find in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it deals with this question, this very question. I, I was like, yes, I finally find an answer to this. This is great. And it's question 124 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And here's what it says. It asks, does this commandment apply only to children? And here's what it says. This is the quote. By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth, that is society. So you see now, when you understand what the catechism is saying, the barn door sort of blows open on this commandment, because now there's suddenly so many more applications to this than just the relationship between a child and a parent. Because what the catechism is seeing in this commandment is not just children honor your parents, 
but it's seeing a principle of why children honor their parents. And the principle is any authority that God has placed over any person needs to be honored. That's the principle. So what the commandment is saying behind the naked words is it's saying all people who are inferior in authority honor those who are superior in authority. And then there are all kinds of implicit commands in that. How do inferiors honor superiors? How do superiors honor inferiors? And so on. And we'll look at that later this morning. But um, there may be one question I think still may be looming. And this is a question I had. And the question was, okay, if the commandment, when it says honor your father and mother, actually means honor anyone in authority over you, what's the question? What do you think? <laughs> okay, yeah, right, civil disobedience, right. But how about what the commandment says? What's the question about it? If it says, honor your father and mother, but by father and mother it means anyone in authority over you, then the question I had was, why does it say father and mother? You see that? If it means all people in authority over you, why does it say father and mother? Have you, have you have ever uh, have any of you have ever thought of that before? Maybe you never really thought about it before. Well, the cat. The Westminster Catechism. Yeah, sure. Um, this is question one twenty four. It says, "By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts." and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or society. That's a lot of different authorities, isn't it? In a lot of different spheres. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And we'll get to some of that, especially next week and a little bit at the end of today. But... That's exactly right. So we can see in other parts of the scriptures this commandment or the principle behind this commandment at work. Paul says, submit to the governing authorities. Where does he get that principle? Principle is right here. Submit to those in authority over you because God has placed those authorities over you for his purposes. Now, we will talk about civil disobedience and things like that next week and to when you get to the line about that. But the West... <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's because the principle for that would be if the government or any authority over you requires you to do something that God forbids or forbids you from doing something that God commands, then you don't obey, right? Right. I'm not saying you need to obey all the time, right? Right. We're dealing with the positives this week. We'll deal with the negatives next week. You guys are way ahead of me right now. That's good, though. You're thinking. I'm glad. Talk about that next week. But let's assume for a second the authorities are wanting you to do something right at the moment, and you're just being stubborn and you don't want to. This is where we remember this commandment, right? All right, we'll talk about that other topic, though, next week. 
Uh, anyway, so the question is then, why does the commandment phrase this in this way, where it says, honor your father and mother when it means honor everyone in authority over you? And I think that the, question, that the answer to that question lies in this term right here. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard of one of these before. If you do, know what it is. Anyone know what it is? A metonymy? Nobody knows? Okay. I kind of figured that. I would... I went to a classical college, and so at my college, I studied a lot of literature and poetry and languages and philosophy and so on. And so we learned things called poetical devices used in writing. A metonymy is one of these poetical devices. And what a metonymy is, see if you can record this in your mind, what a metonymy is, is it is a word which takes the place of another word in order to invoke a certain response in the reader. All right? And so let me just give you an example because I'm sure that you're like, what what did he just say? Here's an example. I might say something like this in a poem. It is the duty of the crown to make laws. It is the duty of the crown to make laws. Now, what did I mean by the word crown? What am I talking about? Yeah, royalty or like a king or something like that, right? I'm not literally talking about a crown, right? A, a gold cylinder that sits on someone's head doesn't make laws, right? But a king does. And a crown is associated with the king. But because I want to be poetical here, I'm replacing the word king with the word crown. It is the duty of the crown to make laws, not the duty of the king to make laws. And what I'm doing when I do that, if I'm a poet, is I'm replacing a word that I really mean with another word that's associated with it in order to create or invoke a certain response in my readers. Maybe when I say crown instead of king, I'm thinking something like, you know, the, the goldness of a king. I want to create in the mind of my reader the, ye the yellow color. That's a really popular thing to do in poetry. Anyway, we're not talking about poetry here. We're talking about a commandment. So what the Westminster Larger Catechism says when it comes to asking the question, why father and mother instead of authority in the explicit language of the commandment is that it gives two reasons why it used father and mother as a metonymy for authority, a word that's replacing it. Here's first reason. This is, I think it's question 125. Why father and mother? One, to teach superiors, that is the people who are being honored, to express love and tenderness toward inferiors, people honoring, as a loving parent. To teach superiors to express love and tenderness toward inferiors like a loving parent. So the father and the mother characters, that is the people who are receiving the honor, the authority figures, they are to express love to the people honoring them as if they were their parents. You see that? And then the second reason that the catechism says is to work inferiors. To work inferiors to a greater willingness to respect and speak well of their superiors. Like a son who respects his father. So, at the same time, this commandment is speaking with the father and mother 
words to the people who are being honored so that they would treat the people honoring them as their parents and to the people who are doing the honoring so that they will treat the authorities as their parents and respect them as such. You see, why, you see kind of how, how that's working, why the catechism says that? I think it makes a great deal of sense. Because if the commandment said, honor your authorities, that would seem maybe a little cold, right? There's not a lot of love there, like in the language itself. But when it says, honor your father and mother, and it's understood that that means honor authorities, but, but father and mother is used, now it's invoking a certain response in us so that we see that there is actually God-required loving relationships between an authority and uh, someone submitting to that authority, someone honoring that authority. And that changes the commandment a little bit. It makes it more, more of a, a love-expressing commandment when we honor authorities. So basically then, with this understanding of the fifth commandment, we can then apply it to our lives by addressing how we interact with other people who may have a different level of authority in some area of our lives. And so what I mean by that is this. We are all inferiors in authority and superiors in authority at the same time in different relationships. Right? Because let's say, for example, if my relationship to the government would be a... uh, an inferior relationship because I am the inferior and I need to submit, I need to honor the government because that's what God's commanded. It's an authority over me that he's established. Now, until we get to the whole civil disobedience issue, that's a thing we'll talk about next week. But as it stands, that's my duty to honor them like a parent. But then, say for example, if I had kids, I don't, but let's say I had kids. At the same time, I'm an inferior toward the government I would be a superior toward my kids. So in that position, I am in a position of honor. So you see, we need to pay attention to both aspects here of what our duties are as superiors, those in authority, and what our duties are as inferiors, the people who give honor to the authority. See that? So that's what we're going to look at right here. And so I've got this really nicely drawn grid right here with perfectly straight lines. And what I want to do is fill in a few of these categories, and then we want to come up with examples about who are inferiors and who are superiors in authority in various relationships. And this can help us really get practical about how we honor people in our lives, because that's what we need to do in this commandment, honor the authorities. And so the catechism, like I said before, the quote that I read, outlined three distinct, or sorry, I'll put those here, three distinct categories of uh, superiors, and that are those are superiors in the family, and we have superiors in the church, and then we have superiors in the commonwealth, or I mean slash society. Okay, so this would be like the business world, schools, um, those sorts of things. Obviously, church, which is where we are right now, and then in the family. And then we've got, up here, we've got the duties that each and every one of us would have in relationships where we are the inferiors in authority, and then the duties where we are superiors, and the duties in which we are equals in authority, 
And this is all outlined for us in the catechism. You can read it this afternoon if you'd like to and find all of this stuff that I'm outlining here. Now, just to be, uh, in passing, let me just say, these words right here can sound bad when I say we're inferior and we're superior and all that. When I say that, I do not mean inferior, superior in worth or in value before God, as if some people are more valuable than others. That's not what I'm saying at all. This is the language of the catechism when it refers to inferior or superior in relation to authority over somebody else. Okay, God-given authority. Does that make sense? So you don't want to get those two things confused and, and mixed up. Okay, so let's think of some examples here. What are some examples of an inferior honoring a superior in the family? Oh, the wife. Okay, the wife honoring who? The husband. You say it with such joy. <laughs> right, the wife honoring the husband. Again, stressing not inferior in worth, because we don't believe that, right? We just simply recognize the roles that God has ordained in the marriage. So the wife honoring the husband. Yeah, very good. What's the one that's explicitly stated in the commandment? The father who honors them? The children, right, exactly. So children honoring parents. Good. And can you think of any other ones? There's one more I'm thinking of in particular. If you want to, the answer is in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19.32, if you wanted to look it up, and if you can find it before someone else guesses it. Leviticus 19.32. Okay. So you're saying older siblings in authority over younger siblings. Yeah, good. That's exactly what, uh, well, not necessarily with siblings, but that's what Leviticus 19 is getting at, the more general rule behind that. Anyone find it? Anybody that's gray-headed. Okay, yeah, anyone gray-headed. So, <laughs> honor the presence of an old man is what it says, right? It's the same Hebrew word. Make heavy the presence of an old man. Honor. Right? So, what basically what we could put up here, all of you, all of you older people will love this, by the way. <laughs> we can put up here the youth honoring elders. And by elders, I don't mean the technical church position yet. We can get that down here. But I mean just older people in general right, in the family. And this could apply to older and younger siblings. This could apply just to older and younger cousins and all those sorts of things, right? There seems to be in the scriptures this principle, if you look throughout them, that those people who have lived longer seem to be in positions of authority over those who have not. And I think it's important to recognize that. So very, very good to, to think of that. Okay, that's enough for the family in this role. How about the church? Where can we see in the walls of the church various positions of superior and inferior? I kind of hinted at it a little bit ago. Well, the pastor. Okay, pastor, and who honors him, or who does he honor? He honors God. God. Okay, the honest congregation, in a certain sense. But you might want to flip that around for this category, because we're looking at inferior superiors. So who would honor the pastor? The congregation, or maybe the church members. Yeah, so we could just put congregation. So I'm honoring, and I'm going to put up here, elders slash deacons. Because the pastor is a teaching elder, right? And then there are also ruling elders. And so in my judgment here, 
the inferiors in authority in this position are the congregation or the members of the church honoring the elders and the deacons. I think that's important too. Uh, can you think of any other ones? How about uh, for commonwealth or society? Commonwealth is kind of an old word. That's why I put society up here. Just outside the church walls and outside the family. Voters. Voters to... To the elected officials. To the elected officials. Okay, so maybe we could generalize and say citizens' government. Because that would be the, the extension. Citizens to government. Good. What else? Employee to employer. Very, yeah, exactly. That's the next one I was thinking of. Employee to, well, just because employer is going to look the same, let's do CEO or something. <laughs> this, this can stand as a metonymy for anybody in authority over in the business, right? See, now we know a new you word. Got to, you got to use your word. Yeah, that's exactly right. See, you never know when political devices are going to come into play here. Okay, so employ, employee and CEO or anybody in authority in the business world. Uh, anything else? Student teacher, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. I hadn't I even thought of that one. That's right. <laughs> Teachers, you use this one in Sunday school right here when you're teaching the fifth commandment. This is applies. This applies for that. So good. Okay, so we don't need to come up with any more for now. This is these are some great examples. Now let me uh, take a look then at the Westminster Larger Catechism in question one twenty seven, after it outlines um, who the inferiors are and who the superiors are in various situations, kind of, kind of like what we did. Then it says, what does honoring require? In other words, what does it mean that a wife honor her husband? What does it mean that the children honor her parents, their parents? What does it mean that the congregation honors the elders or the citizens, the government, or that sort of thing? And here's a, like a list of various things. I'm not going to write them down, but you can listen to them here. You'll probably be able to guess some of them. They're not complicated or or complex. What does honoring require? Again, question 127. One, do reverence in heart, word, and deed. Do reverence in heart, word, and deed. That's an easy thing to say. Really hard thing to do. Reverence in the heart, that is, in your mind when you're thinking about them. Reverence in what you say about them, the word and reverence in what you do or don't do, but that's for next week, in what you do. Uh, second, pray for them. Honor someone, you pray for them. Third, imitation of their strengths. That's a big one. You know, and if someone is in authority, it might, it's probably because they have strengths in that area of, of authority or leadership or something. Now, not always, right? We might be able to point out and say, well, man, how did that guy get that position? Because... He's obviously inapt at it. But that's a whole other topic because he's already there. So right now we look for their strengths and we imitate them. I bet David didn't know that I was paying very close attention when he was leading the service the last few weeks so that when I would get up there and lead the service, I would do it right because I had to pay attention, writing down like, when do we stand, when do we sit, and all this stuff. I was following the fifth commandment right here when I was imitating him as a, as a congregation uh, imitates the elder. So that is something that we can do when we're honoring superiors. Um, how about obedience to lawful commands? There again, there's lawful, right? Lawful commands. We don't obey authorities if they command us to sin against God. Because then 
at that point, we need to choose which authority is higher, and our authority and our honor to God is higher than to any human institution. So obedience to lawful commands. But insofar as the commands aren't against God's word, we need to obey our superiors because that is how we honor them. And fifth, submission to corrections. Six, faithfulness and devotion to their persons. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the last one, seven. Bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love. We may see superiors in our lives, people that God have placed in authority over us that have infirmities that we can clearly see, a a weakness of some kind, something we don't like about them. Maybe they just rub us the wrong way. But regardless of that, in our confession we see, or sorry, in our catechism we see that we need to bear with their infirmities. That means dealing with their issues in a way that doesn't cause trouble. Bear it with them and covering them in love when they do rub us the wrong way and when they make mistakes. Because that's our duty as people who honor them. We don't, do, we don't do any honor to anybody when we just get mad at them because we don't think they're doing it the way we think they should be done. Bear with their infirmities. And we do this, actually, this is one of the um, scripture passage proofs of this particular point is how Christ bore with our infirmities on the cross and paid for them and covered us in his love and righteousness so we can be justified. And so we need to do the same. I mean, how much more should we do that for other people? Okay, so that's, those are very practical ways that we can, as inferiors, when we find ourselves in this category, how we can honor people in authority over us. Now we can move on to this category right here. What are some relationships in which it's a superior treating someone who honors them? That was not a great way to phrase that. If we are superior, how do we treat those who uh, are honoring us? And let me give you a hint. Take these and flip them. Okay, what, what do we put up here? The husband. The <laughs> husband there you go. See, this right here, if this was on a test, this would be the easiest question on the whole exam right there. You just take these and you flip them all over here. Children, parents. Oh, sorry. What am I doing? Maybe it's not the easiest question. Children, and we can go all the way down. Elders. Elders slash deacons. How do you treat the congregation? Uh, Citizens. Did it again. Never mind. I thought it was the easiest question, but it's not. Okay. So here we have various... uh, Again, we can flip all of them here, but I'm just doing this quickly. Here we've got various instances and relationships where it's the superior treating the inferior. And our confession... or Confession. Our catechism says in... Question 129, it tells you how do superiors treat inferiors? How does the husband treat the wife? How, does the, how do the parents treat the children? How do the elders treat the congregation? All of these relationships. And so this is for those of us who in a particular relationship find ourselves in the superior category. This is different than this category. First, superiors, what do they do when they are treating those who honor them? They love, pray for, and bless them. Love, pray for, and bless them. Second, 
instruct, counsel, admonish, while commending and rewarding. Third, protecting. That's a good one. Does the government protect the citizens? Yeah. According to the Westminster Standards, that's their, that is their duty under the Fifth Commandment is to protect the citizens. The elders to protect the congregation. And this, could, this is primarily under maybe the spiritual category to protect the congregation spiritually, making sure that heretics aren't teaching things and that they've got a good pastor in the pulpit and that sort of thing. Uh, it could also come down to physically, too, in our day and age. And then you got up here, how the parents and the children, they protect them. Same way the husband protects the wife. That's all according to the standards. And then uh, two more, one, uh, four, procuring the glory of God and their own honor. Now, procuring is another old word that we're not too familiar with in our own language vocabulary. Procuring basically means to continue to establish in a certain sense. So procuring the glory of God and your own honor as a superior means that you are bringing God glory through your leadership and that you are bringing about your own honor. So essentially that means be an honorable person. Be someone worthy of the honor that God is commanding other people to give you. Because there are plenty of leaders who don't do that. They abuse their leadership. It's something that husbands were very tempted to do in all of history, really, with regard to the relationship to their wife. Now, there are many loving, wonderful husbands, but there are plenty who say, submit, wife, you know, give me honor, even though he doesn't deserve it. He's not loving toward the wife. He's not respecting her. And there's all kinds of problems that arise there. So the husband, the parents, the elders, the government, they all need to be worthy of the honor, procuring that honor for themselves and the glory of God. And then finally, preserving their authority, which God gives to them. Preserving their authority. Meaning, not that they, you know, not like kings uh, executing their brothers so that they can keep the throne. Right? It's preserving their authority in the sense of don't run from it when God gives it to you. Parents have a temptation, and I'm not pointing fingers at all, but parents have a temptation, in my experience, to pass on their authorities as parents over the children to the state to pass it over onto the schools or the daycares or things like that. And I'm not saying it's evil to you know, have your kids in a daycare or something, but be watchful of that because you could be passing over the authority to somebody else and that can be not good for the kids. You want to preserve your authority which God has given to you. Okay, and then finally, we're almost out of time, but I want to do this quickly. We've got relationships for equals, people who are equal in authority. In other words, you're not supposed to honor each other in the sense of, of an inferior honoring a superior, but rather you guys are in the same boat. So what could be examples of that? Just really quickly. Siblings. Okay, siblings. Assuming that they're fairly close in age, otherwise they would fall under this category, right? So siblings, sure. Identical twins born at the very same moment would really fit this category. Okay, how about in the church? You know what I'm saying, the people. Yeah, right, the people, the members, the congregation, whatever. The members to one another. How about Commonwealth? Citizens, right. So we don't need to come up with a hundred categories, so you guys are kind of getting the idea. Oh, sorry, what'd you say? 
Okay, yeah, all, all fellow Christians, maybe? Yeah, right, okay, and maybe neighbors in just general, too, yeah. I like that word. Okay, so there we've got some equals, where we're not in a position of authority over the other person. And, and we all have relationships like this, too, right? So now, what do we have for those? Question 131, as we just finish and wrap up here. Number one. Regard the dignity and worth of each other. So siblings, regard the dignity and worth of each other. Members of a church, regard the dignity and worth of each other. Those are positive commands, right? We can talk about the negatives next week because there's a lot of negatives that would fall in that category. Two, giving honor to go one before another. And then three, rejoice in each other's gifts and advancement as their own. So not be envying because one person's good at this and another person's good at that. But be building each other up because you're equals in God's sight in terms of authority. Okay? Alright, so those are the three categories that our catechism puts together for us to really help us understand how this commandment applies to our lives. Because we can talk about commandments and what they require of us in abstract, you know, all day long. But I think this really gets it practical. We really see what we do as congregation members toward our elders. What we do as elders toward congregation. What we do as husbands to wives, as wives to husbands, and so on. And I think it's really good. So just as we close here, big idea behind this commandment. uh, Honor your father and mother. The primary meaning, the principle behind the bare, naked words of the commandment is honor those whom God has put in authority over you. And we can find that principle throughout all of Scripture. And when we honor these authorities, we honor them as if they were our our very own father and mother. And if we are in authority, we treat those honoring us as if they were our own children with love and tenderness. Any quick questions before I close in prayer here? So that would probably be president citizens under the superior category. Yeah. Same as government citizens, because he'd be part of the government. He's a metonymy of the government, because he's part of it. All right, let's pray quick. Lord, we thank you for your Ten Commandments. Lord, we thank you how clear they are, how much they tell us to do. And Lord, we, we see so often, Lord, when we study these, that we fall short. And we're never going to perfectly fulfill them. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son who did perfectly fulfill them for us and that he took the punishment we deserved. And Lord, pray that as we meditate on that truth of the gospel this morning and the rest of this day, that, Lord, you would work in us gratitude for what you did for us and you'd work in us the joy to respond to your gospel by working out these commandments to your glory. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.